Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Jamie Eads joining you as always. Thanks for tuning into the Drum Shuffle. This is episode 27. Hope everybody's having a great week out there. Uh, we are having a great week over here at Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. Uh, we have a fantastic conversation for you today. We're going to be joined by Brandon Goodwin of Bees Bees, just a phenomenal young jazz uh, band leader from up in Canada. Uh, and he has just a ton of great knowledge to share with us. So please stay tuned. Lost Cabos Drumsticks may be the best kept secret from drummers today. Lost Cabos Drumsticks makes the finest tools to touch a drummer's hands in the business. The best news, almost every popular stick size is available in both white hickory and red hickory. If you don't know what red hickory is, it's made from the heartwood of the hickory tree, unlike regular white hickory, which is made from sapwood. Red hickory drumsticks will hold up to even the hardest hitting drummers. Their durability comes from the density of the wood, but they do not sacrifice the feel. Please visit LosCabosDrumsticks.com to learn more about their products. And don't forget to ask at your favorite retailer for Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys, as I mentioned, we are going to be joined today by Brandon Goodwin. Uh, Brandon is the band leader, drummer, and composer of Bees Bees, and they are a mainstay on the jazz scene up in Montreal. Uh, just a, a phenomenal young drummer, as I said in our intro, uh, with just tons of great knowledge to share with us. Um, they are uh, just doing so many cool things. Uh, they have a new album that came out just a couple of months ago that's just a, a great listen. I encourage everybody to go out and grab that. So help me welcome to the Drum Shuffle, Brandon Goodwin. Hey, good afternoon, Brandon. How's it going today? I'm good, man. How, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, it's it's summertime. Uh, it's my understanding that you're actually taking time away from your vacation to do this. So thanks for taking the time to come on the drum shuffle. We really appreciate it. Oh, man, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to talk drums uh, any time of day, no matter, uh, you know, if I'm working or on a vacation. This I would just consider... Um, this hang uh, part of my vacation. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, um, I have listened to the new record. It is absolutely fantastic. And we're going to talk all about that here in just a second. But typically what I like to do with my guests, um, tell us a little bit about how you got started into music. Did you just automatically gravitate towards the drums or did you start on another instrument? Tell us how you got into drumming. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, from an early age, I guess the age of probably six, uh, my parents would uh, enroll us in, in music lessons. So I first started on the piano and uh, I was, I was, I was into it, but, you know, it wasn't uh, it, I didn't think much of it because I was just kind of a, uh, you know, playing the notes and I, I like the sound of it and then um, moved to guitar, which I started connecting with a little bit more. And then once I hit, um, I guess it was the, the sixth or seventh grade, 
I started playing trumpet at school. And then uh, one day my dad saw a drum kit in the newspaper and he said, I'd actually been saving up to, to buy a guitar. And my dad was like, hey, we should go check out these drums. So I always say that he was the one who, um, it was his idea that I play the drums. And um, so I got my first drum kit at the age of, I think it's 13. So um, I, I played on drums before that and I actually played at school. I'd switched to drums at that point. So it was around my early teenage years that I first got into it. And, um, but as soon as I got the kit at home, I was just completely obsessed with it. I, I really connected with it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was just playing all day after school on the weekends, listening to records, trying to, trying to figure stuff out. There wasn't a teacher in my town. It was too small of a town to really have any sort of music education, like private classes. So, I was just kind of like listening to, you know, Nirvana records and stuff, trying to figure things out. Well, I mean, I think that's the story of a lot of guys, you know, I mean, I, very similar to my own story. You know, I get a set of drums at, you know, 12 years old and, and throw on any record you can and, and figure it out kind of thing, you know, which is cool. Yeah. But uh, I think the cool part of your story is you say your dad wanted you to play drums. That that may be a first, <laughs> you know, when the parents are like, yeah, let's get drums. Let's get the loudest <laughs> instrument in the house. That's fantastic. I know. And the thing was, we were living in a we were living out on a farm and it was uh, it was kind of a small house. So I think, you know, probably after a couple of weeks, he was uh, wishing I had the guitar. But um, he, he did say that, that, you know, over time he heard me developing and eventually, you know, he, it started it stopped sounding like a banging and started sounding like a real music. So, uh, yeah, I don't think they minded. Well, that's awesome. That's uh, that's uh, the mark of good parenting, in my opinion, you know. Um, well, so uh, starting out as a young guy, now you said you were playing at school. Did you do marching uh, as well to kind of get your rudiment chops up or was it was it more of jazz band? I mean, you're obviously known for for the jazz world. Um, did you immediately gravitate to jazz? So I guess there's two questions in there, really. Mm-hmm. So actually, in uh, in Canada, there is not a very strong uh, marching band um, kind of education system. So most schools don't have uh, marching bands, which is very unfortunate in retrospect because I see all, you know, there's um, a lot of great drummers in the United States. They'll always say, yeah, I started a marching band, got my chops together, you know, played in the jazz band. But, it, you know, that's it's kind of it doesn't really work that way in Canada. I mean, there are some schools that have marching bands, but it's mostly um, from from my experience and what I've heard uh, is, you know, concert bands. So you're playing all sorts of different music with uh, wind, wind and uh, reed, like horn brass and reed instruments playing, you know, snare drum and bass drum and timpani, that kind of stuff. So I did that from uh, the ninth grade. And, uh, and then also they have, at my school, I was very lucky. We also had a, had a great uh, jazz program. So it was all run by a single teacher. Like I said, I'm from a very small town. So we got, I was so lucky that this guy, um, Jim Howie, give him, give him a shout out. He, um, for the, the size of the town that I grew up in, um, it was really a, a good stroke of luck to have him as our only music teacher because he was extremely dedicated and he was also an incredible, or he is a phenomenal uh, classical trumpet player. So he lived in Europe and, and studied with some world-class teachers. So 
Um, so luckily we had him um, kind of showing us the way. And um, it wasn't until I got closer to um, my senior year in high school that I got really into jazz. So I had always listened to it and I liked um, the charts we were playing. I'd listened to some of the recordings, you know, he'd give us the, he'd give us a CD to check out or like we'd listen in class to the original Count Basie version of, you know, the tune we were playing. And, but um, it wasn't until I decided to get serious about it when I was getting closer to graduating that I got really into jazz. But just like the drum said, I actually connected with jazz immediately. So it wasn't even like a a thing where I I had to question it. It was like, okay, I want to go, I want to be a professional musician, uh, university programs, the university programs I'm interested in, in have a classical program or a jazz program. Okay, well, the jazz program has drum set. I love drum set. So there we go. So I really started to check out um, more, getting more serious about checking out the, the history of, of jazz drumming and uh, jazz music. And, and and it was, yeah, like I said, like the drums, I just fell in love with it right away and got uh, very obsessed. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the early years of my drumming leading up through high school and going into university. Well, and I know that, you know, you, you decided to um, go to college uh, or as you guys say, up north of the border university. Um, I know that you decided to, to kind of move across Canada really for school. Cause you, you grew up in British Columbia, right? Yeah, that's actually where I am. I'm there right now. Um, but yeah, I grew up in on the West side of Canada. Okay. And, and you went to school in Montreal. Is that right? I did. I actually did one semester in Winnipeg, which is in the middle of Canada. And then I moved to Montreal to, uh, to finish my degree. So I did only one semester in Winnipeg and then I did the rest in Montreal at Concordia University. I gotcha. Well, and, and you know, I mean, obviously I know a little bit about the, the Canadian music scene. You know, I'm very fortunate to have a relationship with dream symbols and, and lost Cabos drumsticks. So I'll give a shout out to great. my guys. Um, yeah, man. but I know Concordia has a really great music program. So I, I'm assuming that, you know, you, the puzzle pieces, it sounds like kind of fell together for you in that, okay, I'm going to find a, a university that has a good jazz program so that I can continue playing drums. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about going to Montreal because you guys in the band bees bees, um, you've been kind of a mainstay in the Montreal music scene for, for quite, quite a number of years. So did, did that just kind of grow out of your college experience or um, did you just decide I'm going to Montreal and then found the college, I guess is what I'm really trying to ask. Yeah. So um, originally when I moved to Montreal, it was to become a rock star with my good friend and we moved to Montreal and we tried very hard to start our uh, big rock band. And it turned out that although we made great music together, we weren't the best uh, kind of team in like motivating each other. So um, <laughs> I also moved there with the plan of um, going to music school. So for the first year and a half that I was there, I was just playing in this band and, and working a, a kitchen job. And then um, I applied to Concordia to, to finish my studies. And um, so, so yeah, that's kind of the first reason I moved to, to Montreal, but, but also like I had always planned to go back to school 
because I knew the importance of getting a degree. And also I knew that that was the place where I'd be able to meet uh, like-minded musicians and um, also really learn about um, harmony and, and more about the, you know, the non-drumming aspect of, of music and specifically jazz. So, I mean, I was trying to teach myself, I was taking piano lessons and, you know, playing out of some, some books, but it really wasn't until I went to Concordia that I, you know, kind of, kind of dove right in and, and um, yeah. So, so, I mean, it you know, it was, it was kind of just to get to Montreal because, you know, where I'm from, it, there was really not a music scene. So I spent a, I spent a week in Toronto and then a week in Montreal. And I think after my first day in Montreal, I knew that it would definitely be um, Montreal as my top choice. Gotcha. Well, I mean, Montreal is known for its, you know, fantastic, you know, just just art culture, you know. Um, so mm-hmm. it pr- probably a, a a good pick, uh, no doubt. Now, while you were uh, attending Concordia, were you out, you know, obviously you said you were in a rock band for some time. Were you still doing rock gigs or, or did you start getting into the jazz scene of Montreal or were you doing both? Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of doing both. I was going to the jam sessions, um, like the jazz jam sessions. So there's a couple of really solid ones in Montreal. So I was going to that, those on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I just love playing music and, um, although our group is a jazz group and it's the music that I absolutely love to play. Um, I, I'm also, you know, I play, play some blues. I play in a blues band and I play in a, a rock band. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just kind of a mixture. So you're really doing a little bit of everything then, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that's it. I mean, I, I, when I'm, when I'm in my practice room and kind of, you know, woodshedding and, and, and really, um, checking out recordings and stuff, it's, it's mostly jazz, you know, that's, um, I, because my, my band, you know, that's, that's kind of my, my passion and, and, you know, it's, 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 I'm the band leader of the project. So I always want us to sound the best that we possibly can. So I feel like, you know, it's kind of my responsibility as well. Um, but also, you know, I really love to, to learn about jazz. So, but, but I feel like the, the more I improve, the more the sound of the group improves. So it kind of, um, pushes my, my focus in that direction. Understood. And, and, you know, I mean, I think it's when a drummer is a band leader, um, you know, and and I've been in that situation a a couple of times and and quite honestly, I don't like it. (laughs) You know, I, I I don't like everybody looking at me going, okay, what's next, Jamie? (laughs) You know, it's, um, I, I, I like the democratic process a whole, a whole lot better. You where it's, uh, okay. You know, I don't know, Steve, you're in charge of this, uh, Dan, you're in charge of this, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, but I, I think what is really cool about, um, bees bees is it doesn't sound like a typical drummer led quartet, right? Uh, it's not, um, how am I trying to say this? It's not a drum solo with other instruments. You you guys really do sound like a unit, which I think is great. That's a, that's actually a really great compliment. So thank you for that, Jamie. And um, that's, that means a lot to me. And so I guess to, to kind of go with that point, that's, that's always been my goal is to, that we have that's a band. So, um, you know, I, I am the band leader of the group, but, 
I, that's it. I don't, I don't want to be featured kind of as the, the main instrument, you know, I want it to be a band sound. So, um, maybe taking my experience playing in kind of rock bands and stuff like that growing up and then applying that approach to, to a jazz group could have something to do with that. But, um, yeah. And same with the way that I play the drums. I, I really try to fit into the group in the most musical way possible. And I find that anytime I try to do something to, you know, to stand out, it's always the time when I, I, I mess things up and I'll kind of feel uh, <laughs> a little bit uh, silly for, for trying to, you know, be um, kind of the focal point because definitely um, in terms of the talent in the group, like, I, this group is just, we're, we're all equal. So, you know, I don't, I don't think I could really do anything if I even tried to, to stand out from the other guys because they're such fantastic musicians. Well, and it really shows on, on, on the new record, um, which is called Kanata. Um, it, it's a really good record, um, you know, and, and I, I'm not just saying that if I thought, well, it's just OK, I would tell you that, you know, I, I try yeah. to I try to be very honest. It's a good record. It sounds great. Um, I really dig it. Um, tell us a little bit about um, the recording process, because it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I read this was you guys really were out touring this material for quite some time. And then you went into the studio to do the material uh, on, on record, um, which, you know, I think a lot of people do it the the backwards way in other words you you go into the studio you record these new songs then you go out and tour for 10 months whatever the case may be and you actually learn how to play them i guess you know i, th I think it was warren haynes that said that once we always do this backwards you know we record new songs we go out and and tour for six months whatever and we learn how to play the songs and how they're meant to be played we, we should be doing it the other way so tell us a little bit about the the composition and then recording and correct anything I got wrong in there, please. Actually, that's a, you got it. You got it. Um, you've definitely done your homework about the band, Jamie, because that was uh, that was quite accurate. That's great. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so so basically uh, about two years ago, I thought, you know, we we released our first album in 2014 and sorry, to that we recorded in 2014, we released it in 2015. So near kind of the middle of 2016, I thought, you know, we should, uh, we should, you know, record, uh, we should get some more music together. And I'd written a little bit of music and I know that the guys had as well. So, um, we, I decided that, um, we should probably, um, tour it because, um, you know, we, we actually rehearse, well, we, we used to, now we're on a bit of a, you know, after the recording and our last tour, we're just kind of taking it easy for the summer, but, you know, we, we get together regularly and rehearse. And, and like you said, we, we play a lot. We play, uh, we have a regular gig in Montreal and, um, I book us as many gigs as possible. So, so yeah, we, we put together a tour, um, in April of 2017 and we toured all the way down to New Orleans and back and that actually a little bit of a backstory but the reason we went that far was because i had been to new orleans in 2016 and um while i was there it inspired me so much that i actually said to my girlfriend i said i have to bring the band down here and we got to check it out because this is so inspiring and you know just to see it together as a group i think will bring us a lot tighter uh, musically and just as personally like the relationships in the group so 
Um, so that was actually the first inspiration. Um, so then once we got the, started rehearsing the music more and more, and I, it, you know, it took me a year to book our first tours. It's a lot of work to, to book a tour, but we, um, we were <laughs> rehearsing a, a lot. Like, you, you said a mouthful, sorry? you said a mouthful there. <laughs> it is really yeah. hard to book a tour. So it's, uh, it's, it's really, I, I, that was a, that I, I've booked tons of shows before and I've helped to book tours. Um, but in terms of booking a, a tour in a foreign country, that was a, that was quite the lesson. And I'm, I would still have done it if I had known how much work it was going to be, but you know, I didn't learn until I was about halfway through. And I realized I was only halfway through that, uh, how much work I had gotten myself into. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of work, but yeah, so we, we did a three week tour in the United States and, um, we played some really great concerts. Um, and then we went down to new Orleans and we worked with, uh, Delfio Marsalis. So that was also part of it was that I wanted us to have, um, someone, a really, really incredible musician, producer, educator to listen to us and to work on what we were doing in person. So, um, Delfio was in terms of me wanting to bring the band down to new Orleans, he was right away. It was number one because, you know, he, he's part of the Marsalis family so that, you know, that family has contributed so much to the history of jazz music and music in general. Um, but he also, so Delphio is an incredible trombonist and he performed with Art Blakey, Elvin Jones, Max Roach, like three of my favorite drummers. So I was really wanted to, to, to meet him and to hang out with him a bit. Um, but he also, a lot of people don't know this, but he often is on the other side of the class when uh, Winton and Branford are making their records. He's often uh, the recording engineer, the mixing engineer, the the producer of the record. You know, he he does he is very very skilled at um, working on production of music. So that's that's kind of why we went down to work with him because I want him to hear our our compositions first of all to give us some some advice, but also just to get us like mentally prepared to go into the recording studio. So so we spent a day working with him. And uh, he was really cool. He was, he was very encouraging, but he was also, you know, at times he was honest. If he didn't like something, he would say it. If he did like something, he would say it. So he gave us really honest feedback. And then we toured our way back up to Montreal and we recorded um, the album and we had booked the studio for three days. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, most of the record is first takes. Um, pretty, I think aside from, one second take of my suite. So the first four tracks is a suite that I wrote. One of them is a second take, but the other three are first takes. And same with, uh, I think Joe's uh, tune refuge might be, but, um, we, we, we just really were well prepared because of all the rehearsing and gigging. And then the tour, um, we kind of just went in and, you know, we, we knew we had a job to do and we just like kind of went in and, and, and nailed it, so to speak. And, uh, and then, the, the third day, actually, because we had finished everything, um, we uh, we recorded uh, another record. We brought in a trumpet player and an acoustic guitar, and we recorded an album that was all uh, Charlie Hayden composition. So we were we re released it, that in January on iTunes. So it's titled Dear Charlie, and um, it's all Charlie. It's our arrangements of Charlie Hayden recordings. Um, but the main thing that came out of that was Kanata. So that's, that's our new record. And, um, so yeah, I mean, we, we, we worked on that music so hard and I feel so strongly about it. And, um, I felt really emotional when I finally had the CD in my hand and I went in the car and I was driving around listening to it. 
and it um, just that you know to see a, a vision kind of from the the seed of an idea and then to take it all the way to completion is um, it's a really uh, it's really inspiring. So you know I I'll keep working to achieve that type of thing for the rest of my life. Well, you said a mouthful there too. Um, you know, it's, uh, whenever you do a record, it's, um, you know, and this is just my opinion, but every time I've done a a record to me, it's just kind of like this Polaroid, you know, it's, it's a snapshot in time of where I'm at musically today, you know? And, um, sometimes I revisit those things and I go, gosh, I wish I'd you know, played something differently or, or if it, you know, I, you know, I, I wish, I wish, I wish, but yeah. you know, the recording part of it, that's what lives forever. You know, I mean, that's, that's what we're all going to leave behind as musicians is what we've committed to, to tape or, or to hard drive, <laughs> whichever the case may be. Um, it, so when you say that it, it, it leads me to believe that you can't wait to get back into the studio and, and put some more music out or, or are you just enjoying playing gigs with the band and, and doing as much touring as you can? Yeah, well, that's, um, that's a good question. So, um, I guess the answer in terms of going back in the studio is, is yes and no. So I have, I have a vision of our next album, but it's, it's the compositions. Some of them have started, but I definitely haven't, um, completed them and uh i know joe has has one that he's going to probably put on the next record but um so definitely i we have um an idea and kind of are excited to get into the studio again to record um but also because this kind of the whole project took um two years so one year to rehearse and um and for me to book the tour and then we were then we recorded it and then it's been this year has been uh releasing the record and then we just finished a one month tour in the United States. Um, so definitely, you know, this, this next year is going to be, um, I've actually started taking piano lessons again. So I want to gr- I can hear when I listen to the compositions that I contributed, I'm very proud of them. And, but I can hear things that I w- want to improve on. So just kind of taking a little bit of time to grow as an artist. And then once I'm ready, then start, you know, taking the the sounds and the the images that I can see and hear in my in my mind and working on getting that down onto paper and uh and then onto a recording. Oh, that's that's awesome. It really is. Um you know, I I am envious uh of you in that you can sit down at a piano and compose a song and then take it to your band and play it as a drummer. That's that's not, you know, an arrow that I have in my quiver. You know, I I can I can go to guys that I that I play with regularly and say, "Okay, well, you know, I've got an idea." And usually at the end of the day they're like, "Yeah, it's not a very good idea." But <laughs> you know, um I so I find it interesting when I talk to drummers who compose a lot of the music on their records and and that their bands are playing. Um, When you sit down at at the piano and you're coming up with these melodic ideas in the back of your mind, are you thinking about it as a drummer? Okay. When I get to this section, this is exactly the feel I'm going to comp or, or are you really just, in the in the the melody and the in in the composition piece 
actually, depending on the piece, the piece uh, that I compose, sometimes I compose it just strictly as music. So, you know, the, the second movement of um, the Kanata Suite, Syrian Lullaby, that's very much like I composed that at the piano and I wasn't thinking about the drums at all. I was just thinking about writing uh, a beautiful piece of music. So, you know, there's that one. But then the first movement, Kanata, you know, it, it's just full of really punchy rhythms and you know the guys kind of uh we pulled teeth uh, learning that piece but um it's a very much like kind of drum centric piece so um and in the last movement of the suite uh, liberté which means uh, freedom in english um it i i just sat down wanting to write kind of a, a latin swing tune that was like a little bit coltrane kind of elvin elvin style so it just depends on the context but what I basically try to do is just write music that I like so that I, when I play drums with it, I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think that's a great way to approach it. You know, it's again, you know, it's not a tool that I have. So I've always, I've often wondered, you know, how you guys go about it because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure I would just sit down and try to write cool stuff to play on drums. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, right. that's just me being honest. Um, I, well, I, I, the the recording is so good now, I, and I was just a little bit lost. You guys did actually record this in New Orleans, is that correct? Actually, we recorded in Montreal, so we just did. I would say with Delfio, we did like like pre production, but I we gotcha. didn't really. Yeah, it wasn't like credited. Like he's he wasn't a producer on the record, so it was just kind of playing the stuff. And you know, we would listen to recordings with him, and he would point some stuff out of like things to check out and think about in the studio. But yeah, we recorded it in Montreal. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I was just curious about it. Um, you mentioned something a little bit earlier that I want to kind of scratch the surface on, if you'll indulge me for just a second, but you were talking about mm-hmm. booking a tour in a foreign country. Now, of course, you're talking about the States and obviously mm-hmm. it's it's not foreign to me and probably the majority of, of our listeners. Um, what is the jazz scene like in Canada? Uh, if so, in other words, if you wanted to tour all across Canada, which I understand is, is hard just geographically because there's, you know, mm-hmm. quite a bit of distance between metropolitan areas, but uh, what is the jazz scene like in Canada? Is it, are you more mindful of how it, your records are received in the States or is there a good scene in Canada that, that you, you want it to be received well in both places? Yeah, actually in uh, so Canada, I mean, you know, it's not the United States, so it doesn't have, you know, the, it, you know, the jazz started in the United States and it, it, so it's kind of basically from new Orleans up to the Northern parts of the United States to New York city. It definitely has, I mean, the strongest scene like in the whole world. So, um, but, but relatively speaking, uh, Canada has a very strong, uh, jazz scene. And, um, first of all, because it's so close to the United States. So there's a lot of crossover. Um, a lot of people move down to the United States or they go to, you know, they'll go to the Manhattan school in New York or, you know, any, any strong university programs in the States and then they come back up to Canada. So there's a lot of really strong players. Um, there's also some strong players who are from Canada, such as uh, Seamus Blake, the great saxophonist. And, you know, he lives in New York City and he's playing, been playing with the top players uh, in New York for, for a couple of decades. So, 
um, it definitely has a, a very strong scene. Um, but the thing is, because like you said, it's such a it's such a, a large country, and there isn't really much in terms of population. We only have like I don't know thirty five million people or something, and we have this huge country. So um, also the thing I'm not going to get into this, but the gas prices in Canada are you guys have it so so easy down there. You know, we pay. Uh, I mean, doing the U.S. to Canada conversion in gallons to liters is hard to say exactly, but you know, we pay probably about forty percent more for our gas. So you know, for us to tour in Canada, um, it's going to be like minimum six hours to the next place, the next kind of major city. But in some places, going across kind of the middle, like the prairies. Um, you know, we'll be driving eight to 10 hours to the next gig. So, and because gas is so much more expensive, um, basically people rely on um, arts grants. So the Canada does have a really strong uh, funding system and there's three different agencies that um, fund uh, artists to tour across Canada. Um, unfortunately, I haven't received one to tour Canada yet. So hopefully next summer we can do that. Um, but the U.S., the reason why I went down there originally was because, you know, I'm um, to get our uh, our butts kicked and go play for American audiences. So, you know, I just kind of going down and playing for audiences that really there's like there's such a larger audience for jazz and so just putting us on the spot so we would really uh, grow as artists. So, that was kind of the main idea and in terms of um if you know, we've we've definitely been pushing the the album in both countries. So in the United States, um, we've been pushing it a lot, and we've been getting radio play on a lot of uh, stations in the states. Um, but also in Canada, you know, we've been getting uh, some some really nice album reviews, and are getting uh, played all across the country. So um, I'm definitely very proud when um, both when you know when I hear good things from Canadians and how they uh, react and accept the music. But also when I hear from the United States, um, from from the audiences at the concerts, and from people in the media such as yourself, just who who know what good music is, and then you say, "Wow, I really like your record." It it's a great feeling because of the history of the music in the United States. Absolutely, and well, you know, I'm going to say this: we're we're recording this interview on June 20th of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling gas prices are going to go down in Canada and your population is going to grow. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I'll let everybody Google and figure out what happened on June 19th in Canada. Um, You know, but my social media feed has been full of my musician buddies saying, well, that's it. I'm moving to Canada. So uh, (laughs) I'll just I'll just leave that there. Uh, You guys can figure it out on your own. Uh, No more commentary from (laughs) from me on that. But you bring up a really good point in that, you know, it's um, it's hard for a band, uh, you know, from Canada, from from anywhere, for that matter, to break into the United States because there's so many bands in the United States that are trying to to break. Um, You know, it's just um, we live in an era of of almost oversaturation, you know, really, because everybody has a recording studio. Um, you, you know, my show is fairly new. Everybody has a podcast, right? It's just so hard to compete and, and get a piece of that bandwidth. You know, everybody is, is 
overloaded with new music to listen to. And, you know, even some of my favorite artists will release a record that I don't even know about just because it gets lost in the static. So uh, so that's a really good point that you bring up. Um, what were what was the reception like down here in the States when you guys did the, the, the longer tour? I mean, I, I know you were received well, but um, did, did you and I know it's about the networking. So tell us a little bit about how the tour went. Yeah, um, so uh, we toured from uh, Bristol, New Hampshire, which is like, you know, an hour on the other side of um, the border from Canada. That was our first gig. And then uh, we toured as far down as Richmond, Virginia and Atlanta and then up to Chicago. And then we kind of came back home. So um, we played, uh, I think, 18 concerts. There was a uh, 15 or 14 of them were in the United States. Um, and in, I mean, overall, the tour, I think, was a big success. Um, we had some really good turnouts and people always seem to like the music. Um, we also did perform with, um, some guests. We actually ended up performing with Delfio. He, he, we flew him up for, to Atlanta and we played with him there. And, um, I mean, he, you know, he was complimenting us a lot. And, uh, in general, we, we sold a good amount of CDs at all of our shows. And, um, yeah, the audiences seemed to really enjoy the music. They'd always, uh, you know, come and talk to us after the show and we'd be signing autographs and stuff like that. So feeling like, uh, you know, rock stars for, for, for a night. <laughs> and, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, our tour last year, you know, we had, had the, the crowds definitely were, were bigger and, um, it seemed like the audiences really enjoyed it. That's great. Well, I mean, the, the record speaks for itself and I'm going to encourage all my listeners to go, to go pick it up because it is, I mean, it's just a, a great jazz record. I mean, it truly is. Now, you mentioned earlier, and we haven't gotten to your influences yet, but you've mentioned a lot of great drummers, you know, in, in our time that we've been talking here, Brandon. Tell tell us a little bit, and, and you mentioned that you play in a blues band, you play in a rock band. So tell us a little bit about some of the guys that um, have really influenced you as a player in all genres of music. Okay, yeah, so... Um I mean, my first one, as I mentioned earlier, was uh, the first kind of band that I got really into was uh, as a, you know, 11, 12-year-old was uh, Nirvana. So um, I really love, well, first of all, I, just the way Kurt Cobain sang in his songwriting. And, but um, Dave Grawl was such a creative drummer um, and uh, had such a great groove. And just, just his high, high ideas and the way he played drums was was very unique. So... Um, he was probably my first real uh, influence on the drums. Uh, and then from there, I went to my parents got me for for Christmas, the Led Zeppelin physical graffiti. So, you know, I didn't have any idea about that. But, you know, my parents, they, they listened to Led Zeppelin when they were younger. So they're like, cool, you're getting into music, you're getting into drums, check this guy out. And um, at first, I didn't really know what to think about it. But eventually it kind of grew on me. I think once I started playing along to the record a bit and I realized like what, what John Bonham was doing. So he was a really big influence on me and still is. Um, and then from there, once I got into jazz uh, a little bit when I was around 16, um, the first guy for me was, was Tony Williams. So um, yeah, I think I checked out uh miles smiles, which is a, just a fantastic record and it has Tony playing, you know, just unbelievably incredible 
kind of technically advanced, but just extremely musical as well. So um, he, w- he was the next big influence. And then from there, I just kind of did, um, went through the lineage of jazz drumming and tried to check out as many guys as I could and as many recordings of them and reading about their, their history and their upbringing and that kind of stuff. So, but I, I guess in the, in my later years, then it was definitely, um, Elvin Jones, uh, Max Roach. And then, you know, my favorite drummer is Art Blakey. So, you know, he played with so much passion and fire and he was, he was the main influence when I started my band. So, um, we actually, our first gig was at the Montreal Jazz Festival and we played mostly jazz messengers arrangements. So he was another big influence. Um, and uh yeah, I mean those are those are the big guys for me. Uh in terms of the in terms of blues music, uh, you know, I just listen to as much blues as I can and I play along to the recordings um constantly. So I don't have a kind of a favorite blues drummer, but you know, I really uh I really admire the just the whole genre and the that that just to get a good blues shuffle is a you know, kind of an art in itself. So it really, yeah. it really is. And, and, and hence the name of my show, you know, the, the, the drum shuffle. I mean, it's, yeah. and I chose that simply because it's the first thing you learn to do that isn't just kind of straight time as a drummer. It's right. the, it's the first thing you do that you go, wow, I might be onto something. You know, that first yeah. time you play a smoke and shuffle, you know, you're just like, wow, oh man. So, uh, so that's kind of why I chose it, but yeah, shuffling is definitely an art and there's a, you know, a lot of that stuff comes from the, the jazz guys, you know, I mean, it really does. Um, Brandon, you know, in the, in the effort of, of not, um, you know, keeping you all night while you're on vacation, (laughs) one of our traditions here at the drum shuffle is we always ask our guests for a good piece of advice for other musicians, for other drummers. Um, you know, you're, uh, I, I'm not calling you out here, but you're a young guy, you know, and I, I think it's awesome that you're so into, to jazz and blues and, and older styles of music. It, it gives, you know, old guys like me, great hope that good music will continue, you know, for years to come. But, uh, you know, in your career, you've done a lot of awesome stuff share a good piece of advice with, with our listeners. What have you learned? That's a, okay, cool. So, um, I guess the, the thing that came to me when you were saying that was just about, uh, what we were talking about earlier was, uh, about the drummer band leaders. So basically, um, you know, I, I just started the project because it's the music that I wanted to play. So I guess my advice would be, even if, you know, you think, as a drummer, maybe you don't know a lot about harmony or a lot about booking gigs. Other people are booking the gigs. I really um, encourage every drummer out there to to book some gigs themselves and just to put together music that they really enjoy. So you don't even have to write original music. Just put together music if it's some R&B or jazz or some rock covers or you write some bass lines and some guitar stuff. You bring them to a band, you guys rehearse and play a show. But I found that that's when I really started to grow as an artist was when I started leading my own group. And I'd been um, playing in other bands as a sideman for over 10 years before uh, I started this project. So it's um, really um, probably the most satisfying thing that I've done in my music career is to start my own project 
and I was very lucky that, you know, my band, they wanted to keep going with it, but I would just say like, don't even worry if there's going to be another gig, just like book the gig, put together the band, put together some tunes and, and go and play it. And it's, um, I, I promise you will, you will grow as an artist and as a human being. And, um, so I guess that's my advice. Well, that's a great piece of advice, without a doubt. Um, you're you're wise beyond your years. Um, I, and you know one one final thing that I want to ask you, Brandon, which I think is really cool. And and I didn't know that you had you know personally booked the whole tour yourself. I mean, it sounds like you're kind of running your band you, you, on your own. Uh, you know, I'm sure you have lots of great help from from family and friends and your band members. But you know you you brought up something that kind of sparked an idea in my head. And, and this has kind of been a running theme about drummers taking control of their careers and your piece of advice, right. you know, really keyed me in on that. Um, you know, I've pretty much been a sideman my whole life, you know, and I've been able to, you know, in, in the past few years, do a lot of studio sessions, which is great, but you know, it's, it's really taking control of your career so that you're not beholden to somebody else. Share as much as you can about, you know, running your band as a business, if you don't mind. Right. So, um, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I have been doing and running, like you said, the, the, the whole group, basically, you know, myself, but actually that, that would be very wrong of me to say myself because there are so many people who also put in their time and a lot of effort into the project. So, you know, first of all, the band, they, uh, they're willing to go on all these crazy adventures and listen to my crazy ideas. So, um, but, um, yeah, so basically, uh, I, I just can't stress enough how, how, if you put your mind to it, how, how much you can actually do yourself. And, you know, I didn't know about booking tours before I booked our first tour in terms of like actually the logistics, you know, like I said earlier, I, I've helped to book tours, but actually running the whole thing myself, that was just kind of trial by fire. And I made a lot of errors and, but also, you know, there was a lot of uh, good things that came out of it as well. So um, just always being humble and accepting the mistakes and then you're going to grow from those and um, you'll just get better and better at it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have any special training in terms of business, um, running a business or booking tours or anything like that. And I'm not the most harmonically inclined person. So, you know, my band members are often, um, you know, helping me out on that regard. So again, just being, being humble and accepting their help because they, they know more than me. And in all regards, just, just always listening to people's advice and, um, yeah, you know, being cool, being considerate towards, towards the people and knowing that everyone is, um, we're all kind of on the same path. So, you know, just working as a team. Yeah, that's, that's great insight, Brandon. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking time away from your family to, to come on the show. And I know, uh, I know your nephew is just dying to see you. So I'm... <laughs> I'm going to let you go get with your nephew. Uh, Brandon, it goes without saying, you're welcome on this program anytime. Please keep us posted on uh, any tours down here to the States, uh, any new releases. We we would love to hear all about that. Um, you know, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks to you, Jamie. And it was, uh, 
Yeah, I just love talking drums and hanging out with uh, other drummers. So it was a real pleasure to be on your show. Well, we're we're lucky we had you, Brandon. Uh, again, the record is fantastic. Everybody, go grab it. Um, you will not regret that decision. It is a fantastic record, Brandon. We will talk to you very very soon. Best of luck to you. Thanks, Jamie. Same to you. All right. Bye bye. Bye. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up episode 27 of the Drum Shuffle. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't do any of this without every single one of you. Please tell a friend about us. Share a link with a friend uh, who you think might enjoy the show. That helps us tremendously. Also, go ahead and hit the subscribe button to whatever platform you're using to listen in today. Uh, We want to make sure you don't miss a single episode. We've got some great guests coming up. Up over the next few weeks, I'm working on uh, some some really recognizable names. Uh, that's about all I can say at this juncture. Uh, but suffice it to say, we're going to have some really cool guests coming up over the next few weeks, and we certainly don't want you to miss any of those. We also love hearing from each and every one of you throughout the week. Shoot us an email. Our email address is the Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com, and you can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. We will catch you guys next week. So until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers. Cheers.